Let's turn in our Bibles uh, this morning. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, looking at verses 6 to 8. And let's open in prayer. Father, I lift up this time this morning, and I thank you for the body of Christ. Lord, we gather together into this place, Lord, to gather around you, Lord, to hear your word and hear you speak to us by your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning that, Lord, we would be exhorted, Lord, that uh, we would be encouraged, Lord, that you would uh, do a, a fresh work in our hearts. We have communion this morning. We have this celebration time around the remembrance of what you have done for us. And I pray that you would bless, Lord, this time in your word, this time of fellowship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I titled uh, this morning's message, I Have Fought. It's a long one. I have fought, I have finished, and I have kept. We're, I thought we were going to finish 2 Timothy today, but that's not going to happen. We're going to just cover these, these three verses. But this is our 10th study uh, in 2 Timothy this morning. And we're going to finish it next Sunday. But we might say, as we're reading and, and finishing up this second letter of Paul to Timothy, that this is summed up in these three words. 35 years of ministry for the Apostle Paul. And the three words that he finishes up, so to speak, his life with <clears throat> excuse me, is the word fought, the word finished, and the word cap. In our, our text last week, <coughs> boy, this weather, our text last week, uh, verses 1 to 5, uh, we read where Paul gave his son in the faith, Timothy, some final words of exhortation in that first letter. Paul's life, his ministry uh, was coming to a close and, and Timothy was still going to be going on ahead. Paul knew that he was winding down his ministry. He knew that he had much invested in Timothy, this young man that was going to continue on in this race. And the, the charge that Paul gave to Timothy there is... He says, I charge you, Timothy, there, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. And I shared and made a, a real point on this last week, the importance of these words to Timothy. Timothy, preach the Word. Do you see that exclamation mark after that? Paul is making it a point as he is exhorting Timothy to continue on what he had started in him, to continue on preaching the Word. He says, Be ready, Timothy, in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires and because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers 
and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Paul, as I've said, had much invested in this young man. He didn't want Timothy to get sidetracked. And and many times there are pastors and ministers that get sidetracked. Many times Christians get sidetracked in their walks with Christ. God has given us all a ministry, so to speak. We all have a particular ministry that God has called us to, or at least we should be involved in some sort of ministry for the Gospel's sake. And we should be giving it our whole heart, everything within us. Paul wanted to see Timothy continue on in this race. Our text this morning though, in verses 6-8, to Look what Paul says. These are like those words, you know, those final words that somebody might say as they're, they're on their deathbed to you. And I, I think if it was somebody that was up in age and been around a long time, and you had that opportunity to sit there and hear those final words before they departed this life, you'd probably be sitting on the edge of your, your seat, so to speak, wanting to hear what they would say. Give me some advice. And listen to the things that that person might say. Look what Paul says to Timothy here. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Well, great words. A lot in it. Something for us to take away. Not just for Timothy, but for all of us to take away. Not only to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. I want to start this morning, before we look in more detail at verses 6-8, to I want to to take you back to 1 Timothy, if you'll look there in chapter 6. I want to look back how Paul had finished that first letter to Timothy. He told Timothy, In these few words, he says, Timothy, flee. He says, Timothy, pursue. And also, fight the good fight. And lay hold. Those were also words that Paul was wanting to exhort Timothy as he he finished that first letter that he wrote to him. Look what he says in verse 11, chapter 6. But you, Timothy, and notice he says, O man of God. He says, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
I'm glad that Paul calls this, this fight that we are in, so to speak, a good fight. He calls it a good fight or the good fight of faith. Paul also says to Timothy in verse 12, he says, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul loved Timothy. Paul saw how useful Timothy had been to him. Paul had invested much into this young man. And Paul wanted to see this young man continue on and be steadfast in the ministry that God had called him to. You see, our fight as Christians, it often comes from the outward, doesn't it? You ever had any battles from the outward? How about inward battles? We get those too, don't we? The outward, the inward. How about physical Though the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do in the physical at times, we have these battles, don't we? How about the physical? How about the spiritual within you? That's our fight. The outward, the inward, the physical, the spiritual, we all experience them as Christians. Paul says in verse 11, to Timothy, O oh man of God. I'd like it to have that title put to me. O oh man of God. O oh woman of God. You know, and, but then he goes on to tell Timothy, this man of God, to flee these things. In other words, flee away from those things that would distract you, Timothy. Are any of you being distracted by things in life even now, today? Do you have those things that are distracting to you and your calling in the Lord? That are keeping you from really running your race, fulfilling your ministry? Paul is telling Timothy, flee these things. Now in context, in looking at this section, he's telling Timothy to flee away from pride. Flee away from greediness, Timothy. The love of money. Covetousness. False teaching. You know, all those wranglings that he talked about. Getting into those useless wranglings and debates that really go nowhere. He tells Timothy, flee away from these things. It also could be translated... Or also we could say that we should pursue. We should follow after. We should run swiftly after the things that matter. What things matter to you? What are the things that are distracting to you? And what are the things that matter? And we have to answer that ourselves. What are the important things in life to you? Those are the things that we're called to pursue in life. To follow after. Uh, it could also be translated to, to run swiftly towards the things that matter. You know, like a runner does. You know how those runners, they, they, they run that course, they get to the end of that race, and with everything within them, 
They're running hard towards that finish line. They're putting their all into it. That's how we're called to run, to pursue. But what things do we pursue? Paul says, pursue righteousness. Pursue after godliness in your life. Pursue after faith in your life. And, you know, those three things are things that have to do with your relationship this way between you and God. Righteousness, godliness, and faith. He also says that we should pursue love. That we should pursue after patience and gentleness. He's saying these words to Timothy. Uh, We need to, Timothy need to, Pursue after love, patience, and gentleness towards who? Towards others. It first goes this way, and then it goes this way. Love, patience, and gentleness towards one another. These are the things that are worth pursuing, running hard after. It's what we should remind ourselves of. He says in verse 12 to Timothy, He says, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. He also says, lay hold on eternal life. Paul's exhortation here to flee those things that distract you, those things that take you off course, pursue those things that matter, fight the good fight of faith, or in other words, Timothy, stay in the battle. Stay in the battle, Timothy. Timothy, if you stay in the battle, this is going to lead to a good confession. Do you know how many people have ended up with a bad confession? (laughs) They've ended up not doing well in the end. It'll lead to a, a good confession, Timothy. It'll, in the presence of many witnesses, who's watching you? Who's watching your life, your walk? What you're doing for Christ. Who is observing you? Well, I can tell you one thing for sure. God is observing every aspect of our life. Every point of our life. But do you know that you have other witnesses? You have other people that are around you that observe you. That look at you. And and you know what? And our testimony before this world. It makes me wonder what all of those men and women of Hebrews 11 the hallmark of faith, the men and women that we look to as examples in Scripture, mere men, mere human flesh, but they are listed in Hebrews 11 as men and women of great faith. And we, we, we look to them and we witness what they did. But what are they seeing in us? If, if they're able to observe our life, What are they seeing in the the generations that follow them? We had this conversation yesterday, I did with a a number of men, about the generations that are following us. What are we seeing in them? Paul says we all entered into this good fight of faith the day you gave your life, life to Christ. The day you said yes to Jesus Christ, you entered in to the good fight of faith. You might say you entered the race. 
on that day. And you know what? We're all going to finish our race one day, aren't we? It's all going to come to an end. We're going to come to that finish line someday. And, uh, you know, the most important part, I believe, of the Christian race is keeping the faith to the end. That's the most important part of the race. If you start out in the race and you're running around and you get halfway around the track and then you just decide, I'm done. And you step out of it. And you never finished it. You don't feel too good about yourself. I didn't even finish the race. At least maybe I could have crawled over the line, but I, I actually got off the track. It's been said, it's not how you start your race that's the most important part, but it's how you finish your race. You see, when a boxer enters into the ring, he steps in that ring for a fight. And all of the spectators that are around that ring watching and waiting for that fight to begin, they're really waiting for the outcome, aren't they? They're waiting to see what's going to happen at the end of that fight. They're looking for the end of the fight. And in a sense, that's the most important part of the fight, isn't it? Who's going to win? Who's going to win this fight? It's after the fight has ended that the prize or the title belt is given out. It's when it's all done. It's, it's when we will receive our reward. When it's all said and done. And so we have this journey that we're on. Each one of us. We're in this good fight. We're in this race. That we've entered into. And it's how we finish. Paul started his good fight 35 years earlier to this letter of 2 Timothy. It was on that road to Damascus where Paul came into this saving knowledge that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He got saved on that road that day. And he entered his race. How many of you here this morning entered the race 50 plus years ago? Anybody? Raise your hand. 50 plus years. I did. I guess I'm the only one. How about 30 years ago? There we go. How about 10 years ago? Okay, how about less than 5 years ago? Okay, so we got some people at least above 5 in here. Quite a few. You entered your race on that day. You stepped into the ring, so to speak, on that day. The good fight. Paul, probably not even realizing at that moment what it was going to mean to him, as he gave his life to Christ, as he stepped into that arena for the good fight. In a sense, the games now had begun. He stepped into his lane on the track, so to speak, and 
put his feet down into those starting blocks. He was getting ready to start out in his race, just like you and I. His adversaries, they were there. You see, you, when you gave your life to Christ, Satan lost the battle for your soul. He got saved. But he wants to do everything he can to, to get you out of the race. To get you out of the good fight. And these adversaries, they were already beginning to assemble on that day that Paul gave his life to Christ. They were assembling to try to do everything they can to trip up, to stop the fight in the Apostle Paul, just like he wants to do in your life. And it wouldn't take long for the Apostle Paul to realize that this race, that this good fight that he writes about now, that it's real. How long did it take you to realize after you gave your life to Christ? I thought it was going to all be easy. And then you realize the reality of following Christ. It brings some kinds of hardships and persecutions along with it. Does anyone here think that it's not a real fight? Come and see me. If it's all been good and no spiritual battle with you since the day gave, man, I want to hear what's going on. I'm going to say that if you gave your life to Christ, you entered into a battle whether you like it or not. After three missionary journeys for the Apostle Paul that would last 10 years, 10 plus years, Paul would end up in a Roman prison. This was his first Roman imprisonment. Not the one that we're talking about in 2 Timothy here. His first Roman imprisonment is when he wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. We call it the book of Philippians. Listen to what Paul's perspective was while he was in that Roman prison. Philippians 1.19, Paul said this, For I know this, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ, listen to this, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Wow. Whether I live or whether I die, that Christ would be magnified in me. What a perspective. For to me, for to, me to live is Christ, he goes on to say. And to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. In other words, if, I, if the Lord allows me to live on. Yet what I choose, shall I choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. What a mindset. Do we have that mindset? 
Here's Paul in ministry that is hard and difficult, the good fight. He sees the souls of men and women and knows, you know what, if God has me here, then He has a work for me to do, and I'm okay with that. If God chooses to take my life now here in this Roman prison, I'm okay with that too. As a matter of fact, to depart from this life is even far better to me. What a mindset. He went on to say in chapter 1, verse 29, he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, he's speaking to the Christians there, but also to suffer for His sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. In other words, you know what? We're not exempt. You're not exempt. He went on in chapter 2, verse 17. He says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's likening himself like to part of the sacrifice that we read about in Exodus 29. We read in Exodus 29 about the sacrifice that the priests would make. And it says, now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Exodus 29. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it a grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma an offering made by fire to the Lord. Paul saw himself like a living sacrifice, being used of God, being poured out in the service for the church there at Philippi as he's writing to them. Paul says, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, He says, I am glad and I rejoice. In essence, Paul is saying, being poured out for you as a drink offering, it's worth it. Your your walks in Christ, your salvation, it's worth it. To me, this is a man that is completely given over to the cause of Christ. You know, and that's what God wants to work in us. He's a mere man. He wants to work that in our hearts, our mindset. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.10, he says, For to this end we both labor, Timothy, and we suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. We labor and we suffer reproach, Timothy, for the sake of the gospel. As I shared from 2 Timothy, 
in chapter 3, we are all living in perilous times, aren't we? Paul warned that 2,000 years ago. That looking ahead and looking forward in the church, you're living in perilous times, church. Dangerous times. Where many Christians in the church are not even engaged in the fight. They're not engaged. You see, I, I know of brothers and sisters that are engaged. And I know of some that are not engaged at all. And you know what? We all need to be engaged. Engaged in the work. Engaged in the battle. It's not just for a few. It's not just for a handful. It's the work of the church. It's the work of every believer. You see, the life of following Christ was never intended to be one of leisure. Or just one of just, you know, just attending church. And I'll tell you what, I'm the best church attender. I don't miss a Sunday. You know, and, and if that's all I could put on my headstone, never missed a Sunday, <laughs> I don't know that that would speak too much, would it? God wants more than that from us. He, he, he doesn't want us just to, to have a leisure life of just attending church and then just waiting to enter into heaven someday. I mean, there's a work that we're called to do. Paul, after 35 years of ministry, had experienced probably more suffering, at least recorded, in the Bible than anyone. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You see, Paul, when he's talking about this mortal flesh, he is talking about skin on the bones. And I, and I believe that Paul's life, when it came to the end of his life, he had scars. He had marks of a fight on his body. He looked like a fighter who had been in the ring many times. You know what? In an essence, I think Paul, he looked beat up. Beat up by the end of his life. Listen to his testimony in 2 Corinthians 11.25. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I, I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, waters, in perils of robbers, in peril, perils, of, ugh, perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and in toil, in sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. I mean, that exhausts me just reading that, let alone living it. 
Just looking at this man that was a mere man that gave it up for Christ. And he bore the marks in his flesh. Looking back at our text this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is going to close out his final remarks to Timothy. This is his final testimony. This would be one of those times that Timothy, as he's reading this letter, would have been sitting on the edge of his seat, knowing that his, his friend, his fellow worker, was there in that Roman prison. Knowing that he was facing probably death. That Timothy was sitting there ready to hear what Paul had written to him. These are his final passing words, you might say, to Timothy. 30 plus years of ministry. We know that Paul, in around 67 to 68 AD, according to church history, that he was beheaded by Caesar Nero taken out and beheaded for his faith. From what I read already, do you think that Paul was ready for that day? I think he was. I think he was ready to pass from this life into eternity. He was ready for it. Why? Because of the great work that God had done in this man's life. He was prepared. He was not without hope. He had great hope, great confidence in where he was going. Let's read it again. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out, here it is, as a drink offering. He says it again here in this second letter. His final words. He's talking about that drink offering again. I'm being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand, Timothy. I've coming to the end of my race. But then he goes on to say in verse 7, this would be what I'd like to put on my headstone. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Would that be great? Engraved on your headstone. The problem is, is that all of us sit here today as we read that, could you actually say, you know what, say it to your spouse, say it to somebody, would you engrave that on my headstone? We're not quite sure that we would want to give that order yet, would we? How are we going to finish? You know, if the Lord doesn't come back today and we have another day to live, or we have another year to to be here on this earth, how will we finish? What will those words kind of be? Well, no. (laughs) Don't put that on the headstone. He didn't finish well. He didn't finish his course. Paul says in verse 6, He says, for I am already being poured out 
as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. And then he says, and really in a sense, and this is what the wording means here, I'm ready to roll up the tent. How many of you like going tent camping? I like it. You know, when you're there tent camping and you set up the tent and you're enjoying it for a week, enjoying all the beauty, you know, and then it comes to that time that you got to go home. Vacation's over. It's time to pull the stakes up and take the tent down. You know, and you kind of get sad. Oh, man, we got to go back. But as soon as you get it all rolled up and you're heading back home and you're thinking, man, oh, man, that bed seems really nice right now, that shower warm shower you think man okay it's okay i'm all right with it now you know we're out of this dirty campsite now we're heading home it's it's time to take the tent down it's time to unloose those ropes from that ship that is sitting in the harbor is really what it's saying that's how this wording is used in other writings it's time to to undo the ropes and and set sail is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. I'm prepared. My bags are packed. I'm ready to leave. You know, I'm just a pilgrim that is passing through. You know, that's a great mindset to have. We're just pilgrims passing through this life. That was Paul's mindset as he's pinning these last words to Timothy. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Notice that each one of them starts with, I have, I have, I have. In other words, he did it. <laughs> he kept the faith. He, he kept running. He kept fighting. He could put it on his headstone. Philip's translation reads this way, the glorious fight that God gave me, I have fought. The course that I was set, I have finished. And I have kept the faith. It might be a, a good exercise for all of us to think about what we would put on our headstone. I've been over to Old Salem a few times and walked around the graveyard over there. You ever done that? I don't know what it is. We, we all get a little bit, maybe some of us don't like it, but I get a little bit fascinated with walking around reading headstones, tombstones. Do you like that? You read what they put on them? Oh man, that's cool. Man, I would like to meet that person. Wonder what they were like, you know. And then some of them, you're you're wondering. It just all it is is just the date, date they were born, dash the date they died, and it's got a little symbol of something on it. You go, well, it doesn't tell me anything about them. Maybe there was nothing to write, nothing that one of the family members would want to put on that headstone. If I could just even put one of those things, I have fought the good fight. It's really 
The same word that Paul used in 1 Timothy 6.12 when he says, fight the good fight of faith. And he says, lay hold on eternal life. It's translated this word fought. I have fought the good fight. It's translated also, I have, I strive. I'm striving. I'm laboring earnestly. I have fought. I am fighting. That's what Paul is saying. Paul used the word in 1 Corinthians 9.25, this Greek word. He says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. There are people that get out there and they labor in the races. They go to the Olympics and you know how much energy and effort they put in to make it to that level of athletics. The time, the discipline, the striving for mastery to be able to get to that level. Paul says, I do that in my life for the things of Christ. That's what I'm striving for. That's why I'm fighting this good fight. That word fight actually in the Greek, when he says, I have fought the good fight, that word fight there, we get our English word agony or agonize. It's when your body experiences pain. It's that agony that sometimes Christians go through when they're giving it all up for Christ. It's an intense struggle that he's describing here. I like what J.C. Ryle wrote explaining why the fight is good. He says, let us settle it in our own minds that the Christian fight is a good fight, really good, truly good, emphatically good. We see only part of it, yet we see the struggle, but not the end. We see the campaign, but not the reward. We see the cross, but not the crown. We see a few humble, broken-spirited, penitent, praying people enduring hardships and despised by the world but we see not the hand of God over them, the face of God smiling on them, the kingdom of glory prepared for them. These things are yet to be revealed. Let us not judge by appearances. There are more good things about the Christian warfare than we see. There are many men and women that are laboring for the things of Christ, things that we don't see. And they're, they're doing it all knowing that there's something that's going to be far greater, though they haven't yet seen it themselves. The fight is good. It's really good. And it's going to be worthwhile in the end. He says, I have finished the race. Some translations read, I, uh, I have finished the course. 
right? This race course that we're on. And that course speaks about our purpose in life as Christians. Our, our obligations that we have as Christians and, and that we have finished our course. He told Timothy, fulfill your ministry. What God has given you to do, fulfill it. Bring it to completion, Timothy. It's interesting that it's the same word that's used of John the Baptist in Acts 13.25 as John was finishing his course. It says of him, John the Baptist. He said, who do you think I am? Am I not he? But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to loose. It's interesting that John the Baptist lost his head, didn't he? For the cause of Christ. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul, history tells us, was beheaded for Christ. But here we read of John the Baptist that he was finishing his course. It's what we need to examine in our own life. What's your course that God has you on? When the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul that chains and tribulations awaited him, Paul used the word again in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Remember when he was going to be going on to Jerusalem? And he was being warned by every, don't go there, Paul. You go there and, you, you know, chains are awaiting you. Paul, when you get there, there's going to be tribulation. I would stay clear of Jerusalem, Paul. Paul says in verse 24, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may, what? Do you know what it says? That I might finish my race. That I might finish my course. And that I might do it with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was sold out. He wasn't detoured. detoured. He didn't allow people to say, you know, Paul, don't go there. Your life's in danger. No, I'm going there. My hands, my life is in the Lord's hands. I commit it to Him. None of these things move me. He didn't take their advice. What Paul is now writing in these final words to Timothy is this has now become a reality to me. I'm coming to the, my finish line, Timothy. My race is almost finished. That's what he's writing in a letter to him. Listen to what Vance Havner wrote on this verse. It was said of the great racehorse named Man o' War, some horses led him at the first turn. Some led him at the back stretch. A few led him at the far turn, but no horse ever led him in the home stretch. 
Some Christians run nobly at the start of the race. Some do well halfway. But blessed is the man who makes a good finish. Paul's batting average was good to the end of the season. I have finished my course. It's the long haul, isn't it? I have kept the faith, Paul says. To say that you've kept the faith, it it describes the action of a person who has his eyes set upon something. My eyes are set on eternity. My eyes are set on things uh, of more value than here and now. I have kept the faith. It's what has kept me in that faith going forward. I'm waiting for it. The perfect tense of these words emphasizes that from the very inception of Paul's new life in Christ, he had guarded the treasure that was entrusted to him. And that was his attitude. That he he persisted in these things in life, his entire life. If he knew you were going to pass from this life into the next today, if he already had heads up on that, would you be able with a, a pure conscience, would you be able to put those words, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Would you be able to do that? Of your own. It's not a judgment call on you. I have to say it to myself. Would I be able to write that of myself? At the height of World War II, Protestant theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned taken a stand against Hitler. Yet he continued to urge fellow believers to resist Nazi tyranny. A group of Christians, believing that Hitler was the Antichrist, asked Bonhoeffer, why do you expose yourself to all of this danger? Jesus will return any day. And all of your work and suffering will be for nothing. Bonhoeffer replied, if Jesus returns tomorrow, then tomorrow I'll rest from my labor. But today, I have work to do. I must continue the struggle until it's finished. What an example. A mindset. That's really what it is. It's a mindset that we begin to take on. Verse 8, he says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only. I love this, because it includes me. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's our hope. 
That's our confident expectation. You know, we're, we're not just hoping that Jesus is coming back someday. He is coming back. He will come back. And for all those that will love His appearing, I mean, if you're a Christian, if, you're, if you know Christ, then I'm going to say you're going to love His appearing. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, well, I don't know that you're going to love His appearing. But for those that do, with confident expectation, we're waiting for that day. And the crown of righteousness is going to be given, Paul says, to me on that day. It's going to be that reward of righteousness. His righteousness given to you. And you're going to have this crown of righteousness. This Greek word for this crown here is that, like that wreath that went on the runner's head at the end of that race. There's laid up for me this crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge. Don't you love that? Every judgment that God is going to bring upon mankind, nations, everything, it's all going to be done in righteousness. Perfection. Without error. It's interesting that when we read in the book of Revelation in chapter 4, this is the heavenly scene believed by some to be the chapter where the church is already in heaven. And we read in verse 4, it says, in this heavenly scene that was given to the Apostle John, he says, around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, And it says, and they had crowns of gold on their head. It's the same Greek word. Crowns of gold. Here they are, clothed in white robes. I'm going to say this is the church. And they are crowns, and they have these crowns of gold on their heads. In chapter 4, verse 9. It says, whenever the living creatures, this is still the heavenly scene, give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, we're told that the 24 elders, they fall down before Him who sits on the throne and they worship Him with, who's, who lives forever and ever. And then we're told, and they cast their crowns before the throne. They take their crowns and they cast them before the throne saying to Jesus who is sitting on that throne, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they exist and were created. Get ready to worship, church. When we enter into glory, when we enter into that day, We're going to be taking those crowns and laying them at His feet. And not only to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. I'll finish in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. An encouragement to all of us. One that will give us some comfort. I don't want you to be ignorant, Christians, 
concerning those who have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You ever seen a person like that? No hope. They don't know where they're going, they're dying, they're, you know, and, and then when somebody does die, they, they man, no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. I love that terminology, don't you? Those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not by any means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. That hasn't happened yet, by the way. hope you know that. Jesus hasn't come back yet. He's going to. And this is what it's going to be like. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So if Jesus were to come back today, those of us that are alive and remain, and I think we're all alive in here right now, we would all be caught up together with those that were in the grave that knew Christ to meet the Lord in the air. Exciting. Think of that. Wrap your head around that a little bit. And then it says, And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, here it is, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Hey, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, church. With all your trials, testings, and everything you're going through, just remember this. Jesus is coming back. Work hard. Give your all in the time that we have. Occupy until he comes. Give your all to it. But he's coming back. Comfort one another with these words. You need it. You'll need it. Don't you like that verse? I like it. The Lord's coming back. 